The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. This name of God's people said, amen. If you're able to this morning, and uh, would you join us in reading Hebrews chapter 1? And we are actually going to read the whole chapter. You're going to get one chapter checked off your Bible reading, right? So you're ready to go. Hebrews chapter 1. We are in the series Greater Than, and a study in Hebrews Greater Than. And today, Jesus is greater than the angels. I'll be reading out of the ESV, which is the Pew Bible translation. And here it is. You know these words well, but may they encourage you. May they just uh, thrill your soul as it is. And here it is. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down, speaking of Christ, at the right hand of the majesty on high, having, verse 4, become as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. For, verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. And verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, uh, angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And the Lord laid the foundation, verse 10, of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are your work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe that you roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make an enemies a footstool for your feet? For are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Jesus is greater than the angels. Let's pray together. I want to get in this with you. May Christ be lifted up. Look, it, we picked this book of Hebrews. So I'll just remind you, we're in a 14-month study on and off of this book. But I, I, my biggest prayer this week has been, look, we are going to get practical. There's going to be things in your life we want to point you to, but we're pointing to Christ today. That's really what this is about. Not coronavirus, not politics, not that the Chiefs had uh, uh, 10 more wins in 2022 than they did in 2012 in their 10-year challenge. If you want to go that route. We're here for Christ, and Christ be exalted. Let's pray together as we do. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much. We thank you for the, the time and the truth that are represented in this passage. Father, we pray in our hearts and minds that you are lifted high. Thank you again. We pray all this. May you, me, you move me out of the way. May you speak boldly and widely through us and through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. All right, guys, you may be seated. Well, by every historical account, every person, every extraordinary person that's ever lived this world probably has one name, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. 
I mean, what is it about Jesus that makes him so exceptional? Have you ever thought about that before? It's not his family background. I mean, his mom was just a, a young Israel maiden, if you will, and his father was an everyday handyman carpenter. Wasn't really anything extraordinary about that. Well, what about his possessions? Well, he had no money. In fact, the scriptures say he had no place, didn't he, to lay his head. He had to borrow a robe in court to go to court, and he had a tomb for his burial. His education, well, he never went to school. His travels, he only went about 100 miles from his hometown in any given year, except that brief foray in Egypt when he went as a young child. And there's nothing about the area that he grew up in that would make you think, man, I want to buy some real estate over there. In fact, in John 1, you know that phrase well that was said of, of, of his hometown. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And his friends, man, they were a motley crew, weren't they? They were harlots, tax collectors, fishermen, the low lives, the dregs of society. And he wasn't popular. People tried to throw him off a cliff. You remember that episode? They tried to stone him, and they eventually had him killed. He lived a long and successful life, and he died at the age of 33. And he only ministered for three and a half years. So why this Jesus? You ever thought about that before? The whole world has changed because of this Jesus. The whole world. And he made no organizations. The only organization you might say he had, and you're in it right now, is called the local church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So what is it that sets him apart from everything else, that makes him superior to everything else in this world? I mean, Amy will put this up. You know, we're in that season where the award goes to, and you fill in the blank, the best director of a comedy with a fashion show in it or something. You'll pick your weird categories. But Jesus doesn't need any awards because he is superior. What sets him apart? Because he's God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was God here on this earth, and he died on a cross, and he bore the wrath of God, and he, he took your place. He was buried. He rose again, and guess what? He came up from that grave, and he ascended back to heaven, and he's coming again. What separates our Jesus? Well, pretty much everything, because he is above all things. And you know what? People get so bent out of shape with Jesus, but they love the things that are not Jesus. They love to look at the dangly things that are around Christianity. And one of those things that people focus on is angels. If some of y'all are of an age and a time where you remember a show from the 90s, has it really been that long? Where there was a show called Touched by an Angel. And you all are saying it out loud, which is even more scary. <laughs> but angels are still very big today. They're on Christmas trees, they're in drawings, they're everywhere. And that is a thing. You know, angels are a thing. But Al Mohler, president of Southern Seminary, said it this way. I put this on Facebook, and I don't mean this in a crass way. I just want you to get the gravity of what we're talking about today. He said, when you see an angel, you don't say, how cute. When you see an angel, you wet your pants. Let that settle in for just a second. You get scared. Friends, so many times we forget that Jesus is greater than the angels. We don't want to focus on him because he's so perfect. We look for the other things that are there. But the warning from our passage today is don't focus on the things down here. Focus on the one who's on the throne up there. That is the one to focus on. I mean, angels are special people. In Revelation, there's myriads and myriads of them, literally thousands upon thousands of them. How many pastor angels can dance on the head of a pen? I have no idea, and I really don't care, because all I know is they're doing one purpose. They're worshiping the God who's above them. They're flying around him every day saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
What a God we serve. So what does it mean this morning that God is superior, Christ is superior to the angels? What does it mean about Christ's relationship to the angels? And what does this mean about our lives? Well, the big idea, and you see that always on your, your bulletin, front of your bulletin, is that the greatest of the angels can claim in no tongue, nothing. But this man, Jesus, not only claims to heaven, but to the very throne of God. This morning, I want you to see five things that Jesus possesses, and there are more. This is not an exhaustive list, and you can take notes on the back of your bulletin if you're that type of person. I want you to see five specific features Jesus possesses the angels do not. And I want to tell you that this book of Hebrews, to remind you, we don't know who the author is. Could have been any number of people who wrote this book. But the one thing we noted last week, if you got to listen to that sermon, was that he just jumps right in. He doesn't really tell you his name. He doesn't say, I'm Paul or Apollos or Luke or whoever. He just says, this is Jesus. And Christians, we can learn something from that. So often we get in the, the weeds over here, the details, the controversies, the politics, everything Christianity, and Jesus is sitting over here on the sidelines of our lives, and we forget to put him as the main center focus. But today, I want to remind you, it's not angels, it's not anything else, it is Christ. Entire of you family, I pray that's what our church always does. I pray no matter what happens in this church, no matter what direction this church takes in a biblical way, that Christ is always the center. Not pastors, not pulpits, not presentations, but Christ. And that's what it's about. Five things today I want you to see. The first one is this. What does Christ possess that the angels do not? Is that he first has a superior name. He first has a superior name. Look back at verse 1, verses 4 and 5. It says in verse 4, Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. Look, Jesus Christ has a superior sonship. In this section alone, there are seven Old Testament quotes. Did you note that in your Bible? You probably had some insets or some indentions in your Bible. And you note that he's been, this has been, there are seven scriptures quoted here. Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 104, Psalm 45, and Psalm 102. And you remember last week, we know that God has spoken now through His Son. It's not through prophets. It's not through dreams or interpretations of dreams. It is through His Son and by His Word that He has given us. And what Jesus has inherited is a name that is above every other name. Now the purpose of these quotes that He's going to go through in the coming things is to show us that Christ's name is better, bigger, and huger, and more awesome than any other name you could ever have in this world. And his first point is this, to which of the angels did God the Father ever say that he has been begotten as a son? To which of the angels has God ever said, and that's going down to verse 5, did God ever say, you are a son and today I've begotten you? And the answer is obvious, right? There's no angel that God has ever said, you are my son. Now that happens in Hollywood, that happens in fiction, it happens in Mormon theology to a degree, or excuse me, Jehovah's Witness theology, but that in the Bible. The idea of God begetting His Son comes from two Old Testament texts. Pastor Nelson read one of them, Psalm 2, verse 9. The other is 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, which speaks of someone coming from the loins of David, eventually through his line, to judge the world. And it wasn't David's sons. You know David's sons. They went wayward the very moment that David left this world, not long after it. But I want you to know that it is true that angels were called sons of God. They were created specifically by God, and we know that they were called sons of God at different points. But they were never the capital S son of God, were they? They were always in submission to and worshiping of 
Jesus Christ. They're never identified as the Father, as the Son coming to this world. Jesus has a superior name. Think about that for a second. No other name in this world can ever trump him, whether a president by that last name or a president by the name Biden. His name is above every other name, every other name. I love watching our sports scene these days, and you know me, I love sports. I love watching old guys my age still competing. Tom Brady, love him, hate him, whatever you got for him. It's amazing that at 45, that guy suits up with guys literally half his age that can pummel him into uh, eternity, and he still gets out there every Sunday. But I want you to know, no matter how long these old athletes continue to, to perform at a big level, their names will eventually die out. Every one of their records will be surpassed. Everything they did will live on a, as a footnote and an asterisk someday. Those names are going to go away someday. And Christian, what God the Father is saying is that only Jesus Christ is God's uncreated eternal son. And you notice that phrase there in verse 2. It says, you notice that, or verse 5, excuse me, it says, Today I've begotten you. That's a phrase that's going to be used a, a, a lot in Hebrews, especially in chapter 3 and chapter 4. The word today is used multiple times, but what God is saying is he does not want his people living in the fact, past, but focused on today. God spoke to you in many ways in the past, but now it's by his son. And church, that's a word for us too today. As we go forward as a church with many of the plans we have and things we're praying through and things we're organizing, we, we celebrate the past, we look to the past, we thank the Lord for all those who've come before us, and we stand on their shoulders in faith. But we look forward to what God is doing now and in the future and where he's leading us. And we trust that as he's worked in the past, he'll work in the future. And the same is true in your life as well. And that's why he has a superior name. He has a superior name. And that word today can refer to the resurrection. It probably refers to the resurrection. It refers to the fact that no angel could save people from their sins. No angel will reign over Israel. No angel came into the world physically, but only God as it was today, has answered the call to be the one and only Son of God. What an amazing God we serve. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, friend, I want to remind you today, this name is a name to be prayed to. And Amy will put this up. This superior name that you have, you know, if you go, do you, do some of y'all still write checks? Does someone still do that? If you all still write checks, I do. We do occasionally when we can't do otherwise. But you know, a crumpled check is still good if it has basically the signature on it. You know that. But I want to remind you, with this superior name of Christ, so is a crumpled prayer if Jesus' name is really on it. This name that we have, this name above all names, is not a prayer to an angel, a priest, or anyone else. It is a prayer to a God who has come down to this earth. So if you pray in Jesus' name and it be in accordance with God's will, you have more power in that prayer than all the armies of heaven, or all the armies of earth can ever muster on this world. Church, we pray to a God. Aren't you glad you don't pray to an angel? I know there are well-meaning people who wear pendants that have the saint of or the angel of this or that or the other, uh, St. Jude, the patron of lost causes or something like that. Friends, we don't need to pray to another person. We need to pray to an angel. We pray to the Son who gave us a name above all names. And what a joy it is to take everything before him, isn't it? Yes, even Aunt Mildred's knee pain at times. And yes, even your mortgage, whatever you got. But I want you to know you can pray to him and he will hear you. And that name is a name that cannot be taken away. 
because even the angels have nothing against the superior name. That's number one. Number two, I want you to see in verse six, the superior worth, the superior worth. Jesus Christ receives superior worth through worship. Look at verse six. He says, the writer says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You say, well, why does he keep harping on the angels? It's because in those days, angels were truly worshiped. In those days, there were people in churches of the New Testament that were literally bowing down, as it were, before angels. And the writer of the Hebrews has to make the point that, no, this is not true. I remember several years ago going down off Paseo uh, to an old Presbyterian church down there. It's now Bahavagad Gita, Hare Krishna Church, if you will. And we used to go down there every few weeks and get a nice vegan meal. They have good vegan meals there. But I can tell you this, when you walk in, you are accosted and arrested by this big old statue of, a, of Hare Krishna. And it, it's, it's imposing, it's overwhelming. It's like, whoa, it's like, where did you come? How did you get that in the door kind of thing? But friends, we don't need to bow down to an idol. We bow down to the only name that's worthy to be worshiped. And this is what he says, is that he must worship the Son. God has never or will ever share his glory or worship with anything created or any being. God does not sanction the worship of angels. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, is it okay to have an angel ornament on my Christmas tree or an angel ornament out here? I don't think that's what's in view here. I think like everything in your life, God absolutely refuses to receive worship through any filter except from us directly through his Son to him. God said, I don't want my name or my image out there in a graven image. He never said you can't do that for an angel, but be careful. God demands that all angels worship Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said that in John 5, 23, that the Father demands that all honor the Son at the same level that they honor the Father. So what this means is, is that everything we have before us must be in submission to that. Husband, do you worship the ground your wife walks on? Now, we joke about that, and we talk about that, but is your wife taking preeminence over who's first in your life? Wife, has your child taken precedence over Christ in your life? Fill in the blank, right? Anything. It's playoff time. This is my third sports reference. I'm counting two. Trust me. There's going to be 75,000 worshipers next Sunday or the Sunday after, depending on if the Titans win, at Arrowhead Stadium. Is it okay to go to a Chiefs game? Sure it is. But I bet you most people there are not thinking rightly what you think about Christ. They're thinking about, man, I'm going to worship some guys throwing around a ball and hitting each other with some pads on. It sounds pretty weird when you think about it like that, doesn't it? Be careful where your heart falls. But you see that term there, firstborn, in verse 6. This refers to the fact that Jesus Christ is firstborn over all creation, that he is, and we talked about this last week, he's the first over everything. He gave birth to everything created. He created the angels. Brother Jeff and I have been talking about this all week. He sustains all things. What a mind-blowing thing that is. But this is referring again, and you notice that there in verse, uh, you notice he says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, this again some say it refers to Christ's coming. Some say it's his incarnation or his second coming. The point is, is that we know that when he comes, everyone will bow down and everyone will worship him. He is of superior worth. The point is, is that no angel has ever received worship like him. I mean, think about this for a second. Do you remember John 1? Or, excuse me, the end of uh, Revelation, and John comes and he sees all the visions and he bows down before the figure and the angel looks at him and says, 
in, in very modern terms, dude, don't worship me. I'm not the one you're to worship. Go worship him. And the angel deflects worship back to Christ. And friends, that's what we are called to do as well. We are to, to see him as worthy in our lives. And Amy will put this up. In your life today, in your life, in my life, in our church's life, the Lord is much bigger and much better than anything we can ever imagine. Amen? There's no one who ever gets to Jesus and concludes that he was not worth it. There may be times where we ebb and flow in our, our, our love and our, 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 our passion for the things of Christ, and that happens to every Christian, if you're honest. There's nothing bigger than Christ. That's why even when I give those references of sports, I have to rein myself in because we get in some churches and the announcements become the worship. We talk about our church and what we're doing and what we're up to and these opportunities, and we forget that Christ is the one who receives all honor and all glory. I mean, I know there are super spiritual Christians, and you know them too, don't you? You go up to them, and all they talk about is, praise you in the name of Jesus, and praise Jesus, and all those things. And you're like, whoa, buddy. I just go to church on Sunday, and I worship, and whoo, and um, you know those people. But you have to admire them for one thing. They talk about Christ all the time. And it may be weird and awkward, and they might, they might be awkward in some social situations, but one thing they have that a lot of us don't do, they talk about Christ and everything and where he's at. What an honor that is, because we have a God of superior worth. Christian, there's nothing bigger and better in your life than Christ. Don't settle for the world's lies. That's number two. There's a superior worth. Number three, verses seven to nine, there's also a superior position, a superior position. He's the firstborn, no angels worship him. But look back at verse 7 if you have your Bible handy. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But verse 8, but of the Son of Christ, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. There is a superior position, or you might even say a superior rank. All angels are ministering and serving spirits, but God's Son is a ruling king. All angels are servants, but Jesus Christ is sovereign. And you see there in verse 7 that angels are created for God for temporal purposes. Did you note that here? One way is by the winds. Your, your, your translation might have the plural there in verse 7, the winds, S with the plural. You might have, he makes his angels wind, singular, but they are ministers in a flame of fire. You know, and we learn that angels have come at different times and in different ways. And there are people who, who literally believe that they've seen angels. And, and well, let's go to it. Go to, hold your spot there. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. You know where this is going. The newsboys in the old, uh, Brian and I grew up in this generation. The newsboys wrote a song about this called Entertaining Angels. Verse 2 of chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do angels still visit people today, Pastor? Perhaps. Do angels still come and do God's bidding and messages? Yes, perhaps. But that's not the point. This is a curious verse, and people love to look into this. Like when they've had an accident, uh, my wife listens to podcasts on 88.5, and there are people who say, you know, an angel came and he was gone. Look, God may well do that. But don't lose focus of what it is. You see how tantalizing it is? And those are great things. God promises you that. that, that, that we'll get there in verse 14. But there are things that in, of this world are not of this world that we're like, whoa, that's so amazing. 
But we forget that Christ is the most amazing thing that we have. Look, I love to chase those rabbits, don't you? Sometimes I, I always loved when I was in church, and my mom can attest to this, when they did something different in Sunday morning, I would actually stay awake. Because when Pastor Robert got up to preach, I'd fall asleep every Sunday. True story. But when they did something different, I was all ready because I wanted to see what they were doing different in their church because we did the same thing every Sunday. And Christian, I want to remind you this morning that your Christ is a superior position. Don't let the routine of hearing the gospel ever get out of step with your life. You need that gospel every step of every day. He is a superior position. But look back at verse 8. He goes on. He says, he's speaking of Christ, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. What is he saying here? He's saying that Jesus Christ reigns on his eternal throne. He's quoting Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. When Jesus was here on earth, he was called God himself. You know, some people really struggle with that. Well, pastor, if Jesus was really God, why didn't he just say it? Guys, he said it multiple times. He came out and said it at his death and his ministry. He, if you struggle with the fact that Jesus claimed to be God, you're just you're literally missing the forest for the trees. The apostles identified him as God. And right here in chapter 1, verse 8, look at this. Look at what God the Father is saying. Notice what, don't miss this. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever and ever. God the Father specifically says that Jesus Christ is God and his throne is forever and ever and ever and ever. If you want a verse that speaks to the deity of Christ, God cannot overstate any more than what he's clearly done right here. He is fully God. He's not a demigod. He's not less of a God. He is in a superior position because he is God. And God has never will, never or ever will share that with an angel or with a person, only with his son. So what does that mean? Well, look at verse 9. He's not only superior in his, his titles here, but look at verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, speaking of Christ, with the oil of gladness beyond comprehension. In verse 8, the word, you see that word righteous there in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, it's different from the word righteous of verse 9. In verse 8, the word righteous is staying straight on a path. In verse 9, the word is righteous that conforms to standards of God. In other words, these are saying that God in Christ could never waver as being perfect God himself. You know, Satan came to him, didn't he? Just eat this bread, Jesus. You're hungry, man. Eat the bread. Get some food. Or Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'm going to give you everything. Man, that's like going up to a millionaire and taking one of those fake million-dollar bills. You ever seen those before? And saying, hey, can I add to your treasury today? That guy's going to look at you and be like, get out of here, man. What do you got? You got nothing. God is perfectly able to do this. And I want you to know, guys, that God is so good, he never wavers in his justice ever. Angels could and did sin, but Jesus Christ never could sin and never did sin. He's always existed in total and complete righteousness, loving righteousness, and hating any violation of that. God the Son was anointed by God the Father to reign in total righteousness. And he does it. Did you notice that last phrase? That may be a funny phrase. You look at verse 9. He does it with the oil of gladness. That sounds all fancy, doesn't it? It means that Jesus is most happy. <laughs> to use a John Piper phrase, Christ is most glorified in himself when, when he is focused on himself. Think about this for a second. God doesn't focus on anyone else but himself. 
But doesn't that make him an egotistical God? No. He's glorying in himself. He's glorying in what the Father has given him because he is of a superior position. Look, you say, how's all that work? It's been well said, if you define the Trinity, you will lose your mind, but you deny the Trinity and you will lose your soul. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all point to this one fact. Our God is superior in position. Muhammad didn't come in a close second in a foot race. (laughs) Buddha, he's still dead, but our God lives. Amen? Our God lives. Amy, if you want to go ahead and put this up. Look, I want to just remind you of this. The thing God is doing in this world and the great work of God in history is not about our nation or any other nation. It's about the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Everything in this world is going to fall. Someday, the United States is not going to, it's going to be a footnote in history. All the things we hold dear, as good and godly as they were at their beginning, is going to fall away. I don't wish that upon anything. I'm not saying that. Look, I love our country. You all know that. But at some point, it's going to fall. Maybe hundreds, 500 years from now, maybe five days from now. I don't know. But if we hold on to Christ, we are right where we need to be. He's in a superior position. He's of superior worth. That's number three. Number four, he has a superior existence, a superior existence. Notice here in verses 10 through 12 that Jesus Christ is eternal and he is immutable. He doesn't change. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment and like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Guys, it is already January 9th. Do you realize that? You are almost a third of the way through the first month of the new year. Where in the world has the last nine days gone? It's gone that quickly. Eight days, whatever it is. I want you to know that God's Son created the heavens and the earth. I want you to know that no angel did that. I want you to know that everything in this world is passing away. And I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is not. I want to remind you this morning that everything you see with your eyes someday is going to burn up, dry up, rot up, mold up, whatever it is, rust up. You name it up, it's going away. But Jesus Christ is permanent. Compared to heaven and earth, we are nothing in this time. Compared to Jesus Christ, the heaven and the earth are nothing. But God's program changes in times, but Jesus Christ will never change. You see there in verse 10, it says, you, Lord. The you in verse 10 is the same you in verse 9. The God in verse 8 is the same son in verse 8. The same him in verse 6 is the same son in verse 5. And and all this is talking about Christ. Jesus created all there is. Jesus is uncreated, and he is the creator of all that will ever be. He is, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6, the everlasting Father. He is the one in Micah 5, 2, whose goings are forth from long ago. He is, John 1, 1, the Word who has made flesh. He is, John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. He is older than his mother, but just as old as his father. Think about that one for a second. He says that they will perish, but you will remain. This entire world will go away. All that we know will be burned up. But guys, Christ lives forever. I mean, think about this. Everything you own is going to pass away someday. This church building is going to be gone someday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want you to know everything is passing away. Man, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? 
Look, I am so, guys, you take care of us pastors here so well, and we so appreciate that. You gave us, you, gave, you were very generous to us this last new year. Thank you so much. We want to steward that well. But even as we look at things we take care of and you have to take care of in your jobs and your life, and we got to do life, don't we? Got to pay bills and all that stuff. Guys, I, I just take this afresh on a new year. Everything is passing away. Nothing in this world matters but Christ. Your eyes are the same and your years will not come to an end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amy, if you want to put this up, look, my future is bright because my older brother, Jesus, is the boss of all existence. Can I put that in very simple terms? He is superior in his existence. And how do I know he's brother? Well, Hebrews is going to refer to him as our brother. We have a brother in Christ. Not, oh, brother, but a brother. Not, oh, bother, brother, but brother as a brother. Look, your future is bright. Church, our future is bright as long as he is the boss of our lives. Amen? And that's what we know, a superior existence. And I'll close with this. He also has a superior destiny, a superior destiny. Look back at verses 13 and 14. Jesus is superior in his work, and it says, and to which of the angels, again, he's, he's, just, he's just laying this bare. There's no angel that's worthy of this name or existence or, or anything, position or rank. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, speaking of God the Father, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And are not all ministering spirits sent to out to those who inherit for the sake of those who inherit salvation. What he's saying is this, is that Jesus Christ is presently at the right hand of God and the Father. He's waiting for the moment in time when he will make the enemies his footstool. Jesus is waiting for his lazy boy moment, as it were, to kick up his feet and lay him on the ottoman and kick back and say, it's done. Now, his work is done at the cross. It is finished. Salvation has been achieved. But the time is coming when all the nations will be his inheritance. He's looking forward to that day. Now, we know not the day or the hour. You know that well. But what this means is that angels are inferior to Christ. He is the Son. They are His servants. He's the Creator. They are His creatures. Yet, note what verse 14 says. This is a curious verse. This is one of those, this is one of those ones where you can chase the rabbit in the, in the context and miss the forest for the trees. But I want you to see this. He says in verse 14, you notice that for the first time, that key word is there that you know well, salvation. You should have that in your Bible. Verse 14 says salvation. I want to remind you that this word is used. It's going to be used about seven or eight times, depending on your translation, in Hebrews. And I want to also remind you that 1 Peter 1 says that angels long to look into why God would save such a rascally people such as us. Yet he says, despite all that, God sends them to you to help you. Okay, pastor, let's answer the big elephant in the room. Are there guardian angels around us, and how does that work? This seems to suggest on some level there is. This seems to suggest it doesn't specifically call them guardian angels. It just says that angels are sent to those who inherit salvation. So what are angels for? They're God's messengers, right? They're meant to do His bidding. So are there times where someone can come on a podcast and say uh, that, man, there was this great, I was about in a wreck, and there's this person or something that came out of nowhere and moved something out of the way? Guys, I think that could actually be said. But I don't want you to miss, again, the forest for the trees. Angels can be used by God even today, and they are being used by God. This is in the present tense. It's ongoing. But I want you to know that's not the purpose. 
What he's reminding them is, is that Christ has a superior destiny. He is the ruler of rulers, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And oh yeah, while he's doing that, he's still going to send out his army of angels to take care of business. Does that make sense? And what he's saying is, don't lose hope, one, because Christ is king, and don't lose hope, two, because greater are those around you than those that are against you. You remember that story, don't you? Elisha and his servant, 2 Kings. And Elisha's servant's looking around at all the armies of Aram, and he's looking around thinking, oh, Elisha, Elisha, just look outside. We got a problem out here. You remember the story, don't you? And he looks outside, and God prays for his servant. God opened his eyes that he might see. And the writer of 2 Kings puts it in such a way that basically he says that he, the servant's eyes look out, and he sees all the angels, all God's army right there ready to tackle. Sorry, sports reference. Ready to tackle all the, all the people of Aram that are there. Guys, I just want you to know God is so good. He's got your back through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed until the day of redemption. And if that weren't enough, he's given you himself, if that's not enough. But he's also sent forth angels to watch over you. Don't, don't, please, don't jump into all the nuances of that. Well, does that mean that I have five guardian angels or I got saved on this year and I got 10 and my brother's got 12? I, I don't care. I don't know. What I do know is, is that everything is at the beck and call of this amazing God. And that's what we know. And if you'll put up the last piece, we're going to skip. I'll send out the rest of the, your notes have some application points. We're going to close with this last point here. You can be comforted in knowing that God is sovereign and assigns angels to do various things in regards to you. Look, when you die, is there going to be an angel that carries you to heaven? I, guys, we don't really know. We know that, that the scripture speaks of that in Luke 16. We know, what we know is this, is that Christ is superior. That's what we know. Isn't it a sad day when we forget that the greatest thing in our lives is the Savior that we have? Guys, angels are important. Angels are good, but they don't hold a candle to the burning wax furnace of God's amazing glory. May we worship Him accordingly. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I promise you I'll get the rest of those notes to you later on just for sake of time this morning. Let's bow our heads today. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you that your son has a superior name, superior worth, superior position, superior existence. Father, we thank you he has a superior destiny. And Father, like any sermon, we've only touched the foothills of the Himalayas here of the truths that are communicated to us, but we take this one for sure. No angel has ever claimed anything and can claim nothing, Father, they can actually get except you give it to them. Yet this son, your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the God-man, gave His life for us so that we might be redeemed. Fathers, we start a new year together as the next few weeks will look a little different with COVID kind of making its rounds again. Father, we just pray for Your wisdom and grace. Through all this, may we look one time at COVID and 10,000 times at Christ because You are worthy. Father, whatever problems are before us, we submit them to you. Thank you that we can pray to you. Thank you that you hold it all. Thank you that you have it all. And thank you that you are working through it all. What an amazing God we serve. Father, as those who are here that have Christ, we pray if there's any in the sound of my voice that don't know Jesus, that you would stir their soul to know that truth. May Christ be exalted. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.